So I'm going to be talking about comorbidities, chronic illness and acute admissions. And my declarations are that I am indeed an ageing geriatrician working in Exeter. Um, I was appointed at the end in autumn last year. And I have indeed worked in an acute medical unit. Spent seven or eight years running around as acute medical registrar on call, mainly in Exeter and Torbay. And spent six months acting up as consultant at the Royal Devon and Exeter. So this is what I'm going to be talking about, talking about mainly this afternoon. What is comorbidity? What is chronic illness? And what is complexity? I'm going to talk about our ever-aging population, the challenges which are facing our acute care services, and really, what can we do about it? So I thought I'd illustrate this with a case to keep you all awake. So Mrs C, she's a 91-year-old lady who falls at home, 3 o'clock on a Friday. They always fall at 3 o'clock on a Friday. She's been a bit muddled and off legs um, and not quite right for about a week. Um, she's tried to get hold of her GP, but she can't see them until a week on Tuesday. She lives on her own. Her family have gone on holiday. And all we know is that she's got multiple sets of notes and they're all away in a store somewhere and we can't access her notes. So that would imply she's got lots of comorbidities. She also brings in a suitcase full of assorted medication, most of which are past their best before date. Um, and I was quite amazed doing this talk, looking on um, Google, what you can find. So I found a polypill person. <laughs> quite amazing. So again, she's got multiple sets of notes which we can't access, and she's got a suitcase full of medication. <coughs> she's got no idea what she's taking. So polypharmacy also implies comorbidities in this 91-year-old lady. So I thought I'd talk a little about, about her patient journey and her patient experience in hospital. So she eventually makes it to the emergency department at 9 o'clock on a Friday. And she's more muddled. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't recognise anyone. We can't get hold of her notes, so she doesn't get any medication. She's got a suitcase full of medication. We don't know what she's taking. So unfortunately, she misses her analgesics and her um, night sedation as well, as well as all of the other medication that she's supposed to be taking. Someone then decides she needs an X-ray, so she goes up to X-ray at 11 o'clock at night. She waits there for two hours on a hard, cold trolley in an open bay with random men wandering around. She's even more confused. She's uncomfortable, she's frightened, she's disorientated. And then at one o'clock in the morning, she gets to the acute medical unit where she meets some more staff. Someone manages to lose her dentures overnight and her specs end up on C4 <laughs> instead of her. So she's really quite frail and she's really vulnerable. And how many of us have seen this situation in our acute medical units? So her journey continues. Um, she goes to three different wards around um, the hospital. We all know that every ward transfer adds a day onto the patient's length of stay in hospital. And with that, she sees three different teams. So again, that's fragmented care, poor continuity of care, and each time she sees a new team and the story changes and you get Chinese whispers in hospital as to what is actually wrong with this lady. She then gets listed for a community bed. She's 15th on the list, but she's really low priority because she's confused, so there's no chance of her getting there. Unfortunately, because the family are on holiday, we haven't got any keys, so um, her home visit's delayed for a week. And when eventually we get hold of the family, they said, oh, this is grand, she's always like this, she's back to normal. So all in all, she's been in hospital, hospital for 12 days, and she probably didn't need to be there for the whole 12 days. And eventually she gets home with rapid response input. Does that sound familiar? So what is comorbidity? So comorbidity is when more than two uh, chronic diseases, which are pathogenetically related to each other, or coexist in a single patient independently of each other's disease activity in the patient. So quite a complex definition there. 
Um, that was first described by Feinstein, who was an American um, doctor and epidemiologist back in 1970. And we know that comorbidity is associated with worse health outcomes, more complex clinical management, and associated with that, increased health care costs as well. So this um, demonstrates that comorbidity increases with age, with age no surprise there. So at 80 years of age, 80% of patients will have um, comorbidities. So as you can see, 80 years of age, you've got a much more significant degree of um, comorbidities. So no surprises there. So how do we evaluate comorbidities? We certainly know that comorbidity is significant and has a huge impact on um, how the patient um, does under our care. There's all these different rating scales, but you know what do they mean? There's even one for geriatrics. Great, but do we use them? Not really. Um, there's the Charlson Index, um, this one here. So this is the one that is most commonly used. It's quite simple and easy to use, but you know, how do you interpret the results? What is the prognostic value of um, evaluating comorbidity? And is it really doctor-friendly? I don't, I don't think so. So this is just to illustrate um, that comorbidity is patient-specific, and comorbid pathologies have an impact on clinical implications, diagnosis, prognosis, and treatment, and again, very much patient-specific. <coughs> And the outcomes of all these comorbidities is um, you know, increases patients' mortality, it reduces their health-related quality of life, the quality of health care, and also, again, associated with polypharmacy, as we discussed earlier with our polypill patient. So as a geriatrician, I much prefer to talk about patient complexity rather than comorbidities. So um, we've got morbidity burden in the centre of here, but as well as the health-associated um, complications, you've also got socioeconomic input, cultural and environmental. And we know that patient complex complexity is much more common in elderly patients. So we've all seen the complex elderly patients on our acute medical units. And what's different about complex older patients? Their needs are very different to younger patients. They quite often present non-specifically subacute illness, Quite often they might just have a functional decline or cognitive decline and it might be quite unclear when they first come in what is actually wrong with this patient. As we discussed, they um, have multiple comorbidities, often polypharmacy, and associated with this they have very complex social care needs. It's not straightforward to, to sort out in these uh, complex patients. And again, they're very challenging to manage. Um, quite often, um, nursing staff and medical staff hasn't, haven't had any specific tra um, training in geriatrics and they might not um, feel confident managing these complex older patients. We know that complex older patients have longer stays in the acute medical unit, they have increased length of stay in hospital and they're much more likely to be readmitted to hospital as well. So on to chronic illness. So chronic diseases are diseases of long duration and generally very slow progression, so that's quite obvious definition. Um, they're leading cause of mortality worldwide. 63% um, of worldwide mortality is due to chronic illness. But unfortunately, these are quite often neglected on public health <coughs> agendas. So the World Health Organization have made chronic diseases their priority, and they're prioritizing the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. So what are the implications of this? So chronic illnesses take up the vast majority of available consultations and NHS budgets, and this looks set to rise. Chronic illness, like complexity and comorbidity, is also a symptom of an ageing society. 
And again, this reduces patients' quality of life as they get older. So, no surprises, more of us are living longer. We all know the UK population is ageing. I think we've got an offer at the back up there, Dr Griggs. Laughing. So, the UK population is ageing. The 2011 census um, showed that there were more than 10 million people in this country over 65. And this trend is set to continue. The fastest growing population is in those over 85. So, you know, this is a demographic time bomb. So this is from the Office for National Statistics. You can see the median age here along this axis. Um, this was 2010, and we're here in 2013. So you can see that the median age um, is increasing and will set to increase further. So this trend is on an upward uh, trend there. So this diagram is also from the National um, Office for Statistics as well. And this shows the resident population by age and sex, comparing 2001 and 2011, both in England and Wales. Blue is the boys and red are the girls. Um, and you can see the black line is where we were in 2001. So this black line there. And this shaded blue or red area is where we were in 2011. So... The patients who are aged 60 or 70 in 2011, these are the patients that are going to cause us problems. These are the baby boomers. These are going to cause us problems. As they age, this is what's going to keep us all in business. Okay? This must be true. It's from The Guardian. <laughs> so more than a third of babies born in 2012 will live to 100. That's quite astonishing, isn't it? Um, I think they did actually get their information from the National, National Office for Statistics. I did check. Um, and this is what you would have got in 1977 if you reached the grand old age of 100. Um, a telegram from HRH, and this was in 1977. So may well all be getting one of those. <laughs> I think they have modernised them now. I think you get a picture of the Queen. Um, so what are the challenges? So chronic conditions, comorbidities and complexity, plus advancing age, are placing a massive burden on our healthcare system. As we know, the demand for acute medical admissions has risen relentlessly over recent decades. Um, We know that we've got a 37% increase in admissions. We've got one-third fewer beds than we had 25 years ago. And what normally hospitals have been doing about this is reducing length of stay. However, recent um, reports have shown that this is actually plateauing and admissions and length of stay is increasing for those particularly over 85. So they're the patients that are causing our uh, our problem. (laughs) Um, older people constitute the fastest growing section of the admitted population. And the patients that we're getting in, like our case, Mrs C, they're older and frailer. Um, I'm sure most of you here have read the Hospitals on the Edge article by the Royal College of Physicians, so most of this information is from there. But 65% of people admitted to hospital are over 65. And the over 85s account for 25% of bed days. And we know that... um, the older over 85s also spend eight days longer in hospital compared to um, um, 65 year olds so and over the last decade um, the over 75s have had a 65% increase in secondary care episodes as I mentioned before we've got a 37% increase in emergency hospital admissions and um, there are 2 million unplanned hospital admissions for the over 65s so the astonishing statistics So back to Mrs C. So how can we improve her patient journey? 
I think there's a lot we can do to improve her patient journey and her patient experience in hospital. Um, so she falls at 3 o'clock on a Friday. She um, comes into the emergency department. She's seen by the rapid access um, elderly care team, um, which involves a geriatrician and the multidisciplinary team. Um, as she comes in, her GP is contacted before they finish for the day. And we find out that she's normally confused and we find out what all of her medications are. Um, she has a comprehensive geriatric assessment performed in ED. Um, she has a rapid response team set up um, at home over the weekend involving community physiotherapy to stop her becoming deconditioned. She's delighted because she's able to return to her own home. She, her admission is completely avoided and follow-up is arranged for her in the memory clinic because she has been noted to be a bit muddled and cognitively impaired, but something that can be followed up in the community rather than going around three wards in the hospital. So what is a comprehensive geriatric assessment? So geriatricians have a unique role. Um, we focus on the acute illness and rehab of frail older people. Um, so um, comprehensive geriatric assessments, there is um, strong evidence for the post-acute optimisation um, of recovery of elderly care patients using the CGA. And what this encompasses is early recognition and response to geriatric syndromes, be that delirium, immobility, falls, etc. Um, we can focus on treatment escalation plans if they're necessary since patients come in, rapid follow-up in specialist clinics if that's needed. We also focus on multidisciplinary rehabilitation and also on expert discharge planning for patients with complex needs as well. We do know that patients are 25% more likely to be at home and alive at six months if they've had a comprehensive geriatric assessment. So how can we make the system work? So really, we need to challenge our existing uh, practice big time. We do know that the acute medical units have the advantage of immediate access to clinical staff and rapid diagnostic facilities, but they don't always cater well for the frail elderly patients. Is that the best place for them? Um, we really need to think about changing the way we organise hospital care. So would it make sense for us to have a separate geriatrics take in a different environment to the acute medical unit, for example? Um, in Exeter, we've been doing a lot of work on developing community geriatric services. And one of the biggest successes has been the Hospital at Home service, which runs in Exmouth and Budley Salterton. Um, it was um, performed on a trial basis, and it's now got funding to, to continue. It's been a, a great success keeping patients in their own home. We're also working towards 7-7 working. So in Exeter now, we provide a um, seven-day-a-week geriatric input into the acute medical unit, um, seeing all the geriatrics take as they come in. And it's really important that patients have high-quality care despite their age and the day of the week that they come into hospital. I think we should also review our medical education and training. So should um, medical students receive more geriatric training and, and nursing staff? We should also improve the availability of primary care, integrate our services as well, breaking down barriers between health, social care and primary care. It's really, really paramount that we work at this together and work collaboratively. I think there's a lot of work to be done on integrated discharge teams for um, the frail older people. In Exeter, we've got a frail older people's pathway, actually, which we're using at the moment. OK, so take-home messages. So the frail and elderly are a very vulnerable and expanding population and we really have to work together and challenge our existing practice. I really wanted to highlight the importance of a rapid comprehensive geriatric assessment in the acute setting and foster a positive attitude amongst colleagues towards the acute care of frail older people.
So we mustn't bury our heads in the sand like Ollie the Ostrich. Um, but all read this. I'm sure you're all aware of this document. It's fantastic. So do, do read it. I read this for interview preparation. So when Jamie asked me to talk on this topic, it was quite, um, quite straightforward to do. So thank you very much for listening. <laughs>